When I was a kid, my parents were very intentional about teaching me to resolve conflicts nonviolently. My parents told me that there was a particular day, an evening, when I was a young boy, a family was over at our house visiting. And uh, they happened to have a little boy as well, who was much smaller than I was, and apparently took it upon himself to bully me around. Uh, my response, and uh, I'll give you, this is the type of boy we're dealing with here. This is me, not the bully, okay? Um, my response would have made any pacifist very proud. Not only did I not fight back, I did not resist, I proceeded to pretend like it didn't even bother me because that's just the, you would never guessed that I would have come from that, okay? So, that, <laughs> I, oh, that beautiful blonde hair. All right. <clears throat> the Lord giveth and he taketh away. Um, anyways. I'm going to lament something else this morning. All right. So I pretended like this, this kid wasn't even bothering me, and uh, it eventually drove my mom nuts. It got so bad that my mom took me into the washroom to simply give me wiggle room in the defense department, giving me permission to simply just stand up for myself, okay? Well, what a parent says and what a child hears can be two different things, and so I uh, you know, I would have taken that as, you okay, so I get to totally fight this kid, right? I got permission now. Um, I got so excited, upon leaving the washroom, I ran straight to my dad, who happened to be visiting with the little kid's father, saying, Dad, Dad, guess what? Mom just told me I could hit that little kid. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> I don't think so, your mom would say, no, no, she did, just in the washroom, she told me. <laughs> that was a very awkward conversation. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about, but uh, good luck transitioning from that. Children have this gut-level honesty about them, especially when it's inconvenient. An honesty that unfortunately has a way of fading from our lives as time goes on. There could have been many reasons, there can be many reasons why this occurs. Uh, some of them could be that we're just, we, we have programmed ourselves uh, that, that somehow being honest is, is, it leaves us being vulnerable, and that's a really bad thing. Unfortunately, this seeps into the way we worship God. We, we have a way of shielding or holding back and, and downright pretending when, when we come to God, God calls us to a gut-level honesty, a childlike honesty, when we interact with him, a genuine spirit that, yes, it does leave us with our guard down. Yes, it does leave us vulnerable because that is what it takes to experience a loving kindness from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Thank you so much for sending your son to take our place on the cross, for giving us salvation through his actions. And not just that, Lord, thank you for a relationship with you, that we can interact with you with gut-level honesty, and you invite us to do that. Not just when things are going good, not just when we're happy, but God, you invite us to interact with you and worship you even when the times are tough. 
when we need to lament, when we need to vent, when we need to just be honest with you and say, we don't get it, God, and yet you still love us, and you still interact with us with your loving kindness. And for that, we want to thank you. Lord, may you please give me the words to say, and may you be glorified. Amen. Today, I'm speaking on the topic of worshiping through lamenting. I believe that this is the greatest and deepest level of worship a person can participate in. And one of the forms of worship that we have worked really hard to neglect. The dictionary defines lamenting. What is the lamenting? What does it mean to lament? It means to mourn or express one's grief. Each and every one of us, if we have not already, will experience loss, disappointment, grief, pain. We will experience those things. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? We're going to explore that this morning. Lamenting, lamenting allows us to process our emotions. No matter how hard you want to suppress them, it allows us to express them. It gives you permission to vent, to release the tension between the way you think life should be and the way life actually is. And in doing this, lamenting restores human dignity with human suffering. Today I want us to look at the relationship between lamenting and worship. Jesus, uh, he addresses our suffering with a beautiful invitation. I want to start with this beautiful invitation from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, he says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is prepared. He is prepared for your lament, for your shortfalls, for your pain, and for your suffering. We just have to be the ones to offer it to him in worship. We have to be the ones to say, God, I can't handle this. I don't know how to process this. What am I supposed to do with this, God? And he is the one who shows up. And he's the one who gives you the strength through that time. In order for us to wrap our heads around this powerful form of worship, I believe that we first need to come to terms with a very powerful truth. And that truth is this. this truth, the truth that the deepest desire of God is to be with us. The deepest desire of God is to be with us. Of all the different options on the table for God to choose in order to restore humankind to himself, to restore that relationship amidst all the sin, was that he decided to become one of us among us. Uh, they called him Emmanuel, literally meaning God with us. John chapter 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you know that the word dwelt in Greek literally means tabernacled? The word became flesh and was tabernacled among us, exactly where God wants to be 
The tabernacle, if you don't know, was a tent used in the Old Testament uh, when, when Israel was fleeing Egypt. It was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. The tent it was uh, the place where God's presence was among his people, right where his people were. What were Jesus' last words again in Matthew 28? Right after his great commission, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He wants us to be his people. Even the Old Testament law, the Torah, was designed to bring people to himself. The goal of the law is, in Leviticus 26, 11, is, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. There it is, the heart of God. God loves us so much, and Scripture says that he wants us to be married to him. And I don't think that this is a time in history where God's people were actually closer to God. This is going to seem really weird, so hear me out. There is not a time where God's people were closer to God than when they were wandering aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years, and they had to rely on God to take care of their daily provision. I believe that that was a time that God was closest with them. His people were connected with him more powerfully in the wilderness than any other time. They were completely vulnerable, vulnerable to each other, vulnerable to the surrounding empires, vulnerable to the limits, I mean, uh, to the elements, and they were vulnerable to God. But God took care of them as he promised. As a matter of fact, God had the audacity to call that experience worship. What? Exodus chapter 7, 16. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Sometimes, in order to worship God, we need to be in the wilderness. And yet, so often, isn't it interesting? That's the stuff that we're praying against. Hear me out, church. I am not, for one second, saying this morning that we should be praying for difficult times. They're going to show up regardless. What, what I am saying, what I'm suggesting, that, when you, that in those times, you can hold on to hope. Hope in salvation. Hope in justice. And hope that God will never, never leave you. You may ask, well, Pastor Peter, how in the world am I supposed to worship God while in the wilderness? Well, what is worship? Worship is simply attributing worth to something, giving worth to God. Well, is it not true, church, that it is in the wilderness that we truly understand God's worth? That in the wilderness, we, we truly understand God's worth. When Jesus went into the wilderness, he demonstrates that he already knows the worth of his father. We see this every time he was confronted by Satan. He quotes the Bible, Leviticus, uh, of all books. And now that we know that God's unfailing desires to be with us, one of the things lament teaches us is that the things that we ask for are almost never what we need. The things that we ask for are almost never what we need. But 
the one thing that we always need is the presence of God, which happens to be the one thing God desires the most. So what? That sounds nice enough. What does that look like? Well, the good thing is there's no shortage of lamenting in the Bible. Almost, almost all the songs are lamenting. Uh, there is a whole book named Lamentations. <laughs> it's all a lament of the siege of Jerusalem and the exile of Israel to Babylon. But I want to focus today on King David. He was a piece of work. He was amazing. Uh, I want to read one of his psalms. Lamenting. Okay? As I read this church, I want us to really get where he's coming at, okay? He's not, I mean, he's not putting makeup on this thing. He's not buttering it up. He is saying it how it is. I want us to really feel where his heart is going, okay? Psalm chapter 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or, or will I sleep in death? And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will re rejoice when I fall. Here's David shifting gears now. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? It's like two completely different uh, streams of thought here. Did, did David's situation change halfway through writing this? Nope. But God showed up. And what did God show up with? It says right there, your unfailing love. Unfailing love. The Hebrew word for that is hesed. Or if you want to be accurate, chesed. But I'm not prepared to do that this morning. Hesed. It literally means loving kindness. But it means way more than that. Uh, I love the way Michael Card defines it. He defines loving kindness or hesed as the person whom I have arrived to expect nothing gives me everything. The person whom I have arrived to expect nothing gives me everything. Lamenting is worship that turns into praise. It's not about getting something off of your conscience so that you can finally praise God. It's all the same package. It is all encompassing. Every bit of it. You come to the altar as you are, not how you would like to be. Isn't it interesting that the things that, that in life hurt us the most are the very things that we can use to worship God the most? I don't know how that works. But the things that happen to hurt us the most in our life are the very things that we can use to worship God the most. Jesus is often seen lamenting in the point of his life where he is being used the most by the Father. For instance, take the example of him dying on the cross. He's dying on the cross here. And he begins to lament. And he's being heard to say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? And as he's 
there hanging on the cross, dying. He's dying for your sins and my sins. He's being used the most in the most difficult time of his life. Whenever you talk about suffering and grief that we experience in this life, it's very difficult to reconcile those two, those two things. There's no easy answer to our problems, our pains, and our heartaches. I wish there was. I wish I could sit, sit up here and say, do these things and it'd be like taking a spiritual painkiller. When Jesus was asked questions, he often answered them with deeper questions to show us that there be something deeper at work that we may not understand. And I'm fully aware that that is not a very good answer to the suffering in this world. But as I understand it, there are only three options on the table for us. When we look at suffering, option number one, there is no God. And I'm sorry. In light of everything that I've known and experienced in my life, I'm not prepared to believe that. Number two, there is a God. He just doesn't care. I'm not prepared to believe that either because of everything that I've known and I've experienced in my life. And number three, there's a God who cares... And he's just doing something we don't completely understand. That one isn't a lot easier to believe. But I believe it's the right answer. For everything we know of God. He is caring and he exists. But amidst the grief and the pain, the confusion, God offers something that is, way, that is worth way more than all the answers in the world. And that is himself. His presence, his spirit. And with the promise that one day we will understand why. Maybe not now, maybe not in the way that we would expect, but one day we will know why. We will know why those we love most get cancer. We will know why we can't have a baby. We'll know why. Children have to die in this world. One day we will know why. We just don't know why now. And that's difficult. We have to come to terms with that. And it is in those times that we lament for those things, that time of openness and honesty with God that fills us with peace. We may not have the answers, but he will give you peace. You may not understand it, you will have peace, a promise we have through the working of Jesus Christ, through his suffering, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Many years ago, Marie and I were expecting twins. We took pregnancy pictures even. If you have ever done that, You'll know how weird that can get. Every picture involves somehow a man touching the belly of his wife. Doesn't matter what you're doing. You're hanging upside down on a tree, touching your belly. Cartwheels, I don't even know that's possible. Somehow you're touching your belly, and that's all the pictures are. Men, if you can avoid that, avoid it. But we were expecting these twins. Everything seemed to be going well, and then one day my wife came to me. She's like, we have to go to the doctor. Something's wrong. And so, okay, so we did, and we received the news that we had 
um, miscarried both um, of our kids. So, needless to say, that was a time in our life that was quite difficult. Not the only time that was difficult, but it was one of those times where we had to reconcile the way we think the world should be with the way things are in a sinful world. And so we struggled, and I wrestled with God, trying to figure out, why? Why would that happen? And I know it happens to other people, but when it happens to me, it just seems more real. And uh, I wrestled with God, kind of like Jacob wrestled with God and through, through the whole night. And I did the only thing I knew how to, to really clear my head and worship God, and that was with, with drawing. And so I'm going to share with you a, a bit of a video uh, that, that I made that reminded me of that time and how God truly spoke to me. So watch the video. really cool thing about that is I had no idea what the end product of that drawing would look like. And uh, only after I was finished, I realized that what God wanted to instill in me is a, is a peace knowing that our unborn children 
were in his embrace. Did that make my pain go away? Not right away, but it showed me his chesed. It showed me his love. It showed me his presence in a way I've never experienced. It's a beautiful thing to be honest with God, to have him show up with such power. God wants your mess. He wants your questions. Jesus was not offended when his own disciple questioned his own resurrection. As a matter of fact, he invited him to touch his wounds. In the book of Genesis chapter 32, Jacob literally wrestles with God through the whole night. And at the end of the night, maybe when God had enough, touched his hip and popped it out of place, and this is what he says to him. He says this, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Ask God the tough questions. Be honest with him. How long, O oh Lord? How Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me, God? When you're honest with God, and we ask why and how long will this go on, God will show up. He may not have all the answers. He's going to show up, and he's going to give you his chesed, his loving kindness. So in those times of grief, can I suggest something? Ask, God's, ask God for his presence. Ask God for, for him to just show up. Uh, the deepest longing of God's heart is what we need the most, his presence. You know when God shows up because you'll need his presence more than your provision. You'll need, you'll need his presence more than provision. I... Uh, <clears throat> I heard one pastor say that during his battle with cancer, he even prayed to God, God, you don't necessarily have to heal me, but don't leave me. Now that, that to me is intimacy with God. God invites us to cast those burdens on him. He invites us to wrestle with him like Jacob. Job had, Job had everything taken from him. His whole life was flipped upside down. Have you read Job? He never got his kids back. But he did get God back. He never got his children back, but he got God back. If there is one thing I've come to realize, it is that life can be very difficult. And no matter how educated you are, how woke you are, how enlightened you've become, how many podcasts you've listened to, blogs you've read, vlogs you've watched, and books that you've familiarized yourself with, if there's a person who comes to you with a simple and short answer to life's suffering and how to make that into worship, they're lying to you because it doesn't exist. All we need to know that is in the midst of our mess exists a loving God who owed us nothing and he gave everything to us. A God who can take your pain and your weakness, and he's able to turn it into something beautiful. We may not see it right away, but we have to trust that God is at work, even through the difficult, especially through the difficult times in our life. We have to believe that. God can take your pain. He can turn your weaknesses into something beautiful. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in strength. No, my, my power is made perfect in weakness. You may think that you may have it all together, but you don't have to be strong. God is strong for you and is waiting for you to give that grief and that pain as an offering of worship to him so that he can give you his hesed, his loving kindness. As believers, we are called to enter redemptively into the lives of those around us who are suffering. And this is very important for us to hear. I've been talking to us as individuals for a long time, but I need us to now, we need to look around our congregation and we need to, we need to figure out how we can enter into each other's lives redemptively to those of us who are suffering. It's very intimidating. I'll be very honest. And it's scary, but it's very healing. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 encourages us. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Your simple presence in the lives of those experiencing grief can make a world of a difference. With that, I want to ask us a question as a church. Is our church a safe place for suffering? A place where we can ask questions, a place of honesty, where people don't always have to get the answers to the questions, but they'll have a shoulder to cry on. God doesn't always give us the answer. He doesn't always cure the cancer, but he gives us himself which is all we will ever need. Anne Johnston Flint is a constant encouragement to my life and an inspiration. She is known as being one of the world's greatest hymn writers. If you read her writings or have sung her hymns, you could easily assume that she had a very powerful connection with God. The depth and strength of her lyrics have probably been unmatched. You would never have guessed, you would have never have known the agony she would have experienced to simply write one letter on a page. Suffering with rheumatoid arthritis, stomach cancer, she was uh, going blind, and she had boils from her head to the toe. They needed eight pillows to surround her just in order to give her some element of comfort. And in that anguish, she wrote, he giveth more grace when burdens go greater. He sendeth more strength when labors increase. To added affliction, he added his mercies. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exa uh, exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength is failed and the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary that is known unto man. For out of the infinite riches of Jesus, he giveth, he giveth, he giveth again. Think about that. Many people would read this and think, wow, I desire a faith that strong. But would you want the suffering that came with it to get to that place? Remember, 
This is not the end of your story. There will be restoration. There's going to be justice. It may not look like what we thought, but I promise you it will be better. Christ has overcome. Only he can take the storms in our life and calm them. Joy doesn't happen in your life aside from the confusion and pain. Joy happens amidst the, the, the pain and the grief. And just remember, as you lament, we are loved by God so ferociously that no amount of suffering can ever put a dividing wall between us and his love. No amount of grief can separate us from the love of our Father. Romans 8, 35, 39, 239 says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus. Church, the only one who can take your mess and turn it into a masterpiece is God. He's the only one that can cause your ruins to come to life. God, thank you so much that you have made yourself known to us and you offer us your presence, you give to us your said, your loving kindness in our darkest hour. Thank you so much for, for your example through Jesus Christ, a person who felt pain and suffering and grief to the fullest extent for our sins and he overcame and he offers that same victory to us God, thank you for all those believers throughout history who have gone through hell and they came out with your love. They came out unscathed, maybe not physically, but God, you have shown us that when, when we are weak, your power is made strong. And so God, this morning there are people listening to this service, there's people in the sanctuary who are feeling like they're at the end of their rope and they don't see how they can get out. God, make your presence known to them. Show them what your said looks like and speak life into their, into their situation and show them how beautiful their ruins can come to life. Amen.